Okay, so this is going to be my WWE Elimination Chamber 2022 pay-per-view review. The show took place on Saturday in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. And overall, I mean, I thought this show was okay. There was nothing overly... Excuse me, there was nothing blow away on this show or overly great. It was pretty much paint-by-numbers. Pretty much what most people, I'm sure, expected happened with most of the matches and the results and all that. <clears throat> Dang. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it was a typical throwaway show. And the build-up for WrestleMania now is really in full force. So we I think we have about a little over six weeks or so until the show. So um, I'll get into the review here in a minute. But I think first thing I want to talk about is kind of just a couple... Um, more details on some things that news that broke during the week. Um, starting with you know the uh, Cody Rhodes, I've talked a little bit about that in the last podcast that I did, where I talked about Cody Rhodes leaving AEW and you know potentially going <clears throat> back to WWE and all that. There has been some reports that he was at the WWE Performance Center this past weekend or whatever and was recording promos and segments for his return and vignettes and things like that um it's kind of weird that if you look at his status with AEW he was a vice president or an executive vice president I should say um he had a lot of say in his creative apparently he ended up losing some of his booking power toward the latter part of his run in AEW, and then it feels like, you know, it, I just think at this point, all the trash that Cody Rhodes talked about WWE, it would be very weird for him to go back, but, you know, if WWE is going to offer him a better deal than, you know, like I said, this is all speculation, we don't even know for sure, it's all rumors, so I don't even really like talking about stuff like this until it happens for sure, but I will say this, if he does go back to WWE, um, I feel like if WWE is smart, they'll book him strong and toward the, in the main event scene and at the top of the card because it could possibly, and I've heard other people touch on this as well and other things I've heard and seen and read about, that maybe if they do book Cody Rhodes strong and toward the top of the card, that they potentially could you know entice more people when their contracts expire with AEW to go to WWE. Um, it just seems like, he could uh, Tony Khan, who's didn't see Cody Rhodes as as important as he was, especially with them signing CM Punk and Brian Danielson and having John Moxley and Chris Jericho and the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega and Adam Page and MJF and just all the great guys talent that they have. Maybe they didn't, you know, he didn't think Cody Rhodes was worth <clears throat> whatever he was asking for. So. The only thing that is kind of weird is if he does go to WWE, he's going to lose all those. You know, he's not obviously they're not going to make him an EVP like he was in AEW. He's not going to get a say in booking um, his character or anything or just booking in general. So he's kind of running the risk, obviously. And he's been to WWE before. They booked him like a mid-carder. So who's to say they won't do it again? So he, if he does go, he is kind of risking a lot to kind of go back there. Um but we'll see like i said raw i'm recording this actually on a monday before rock starts here in a couple hours so um who knows he could turn up on raw so 
Um, and then there's, you know, I still also want to address the people that think it's a work and all that. I really don't think that it's a work. Um, you know, because Tony Khan put out statements and Cody Rhodes and a bunch of other people in AEW. I just don't feel like they would go to that extreme if this was all a ruse and he's just going to turn up at AEW or back there. I mean, I guess, like I said, it's, it's not impossible, but I don't really see it as likely to happen, so... That's my thoughts on the whole Cody Rhodes thing. Um, next, I'll kind of touch on uh, more on Stone Cold Steve Austin potentially returning for WrestleMania. Now it's being reported that if Austin does return for WrestleMania, that it could potentially be for more than one match. So we might get more than one Steve Austin match. So, uh... You know, I kind of talked about it before, like, Stone Cold Steve Austin's my favorite wrestler, so I'll obviously, you know, little kid me will be going crazy, but then you also got to look at it from, it is weird to think about it on the surface with Austin, because he's been retired for 19 years now, since 2003, his last match was WrestleMania 19, and Safeco Field in Seattle against The Rock, and The Rock beat him, and obviously nobody at the time knew that it was going to be Austin's last match, but it's just weird to me that he would, that now he would come back, and even though, because over the years, they ha he has been offered, you know, matches, and to come back and do a couple matches here and there, and he's always turned it down, so like, for me, it's one of those, he's been out of the ring for so long, that it's almost as if, You'll believe it when you see it. And, you know, like I said, I'm not going to really believe this rumor until I see Stone Cold Steve Austin maybe pop up on Raw and then they, you know, officially announce the match with Kevin Owens. I mean, it, like I said, it could honestly just be he shows up because Kevin Owens has been, like, trash-talking um, Texas and all that and promos on Raw. And, I mean, it could just be one of those things where he's trash-talking him at WrestleMania and Austin comes out. You know, and gives him a stunner and has beers and all that. Um, it's hard to uh, really say at this point what they're going to do. And if that match happens. But, um, I don't know. I just think it's weird that Austin would now choose to come back at 57 years old. And, you know, not being in the ring in 19 years. But maybe, I mean, obviously I'm sure he'll get a huge payday and that's a factor. But... Um, I just think, like, I don't know, I, I just don't see why he would do it now, I mean, maybe, it could also be, maybe he's, you know, like I said, he's 57, maybe he just wants to, he's thinking, if I don't do this now, then I'll be too old, and, I mean, 57's already probably pushing it, especially for a guy that's got, you know, had a neck, broke his neck years back, has knee problems and all that, so... And obviously, I mean, I mean, I think Kevin Owens would be thrilled to work with Stone Cold Steve Austin. Um, I mean, who wouldn't? He's the biggest star to ever step foot in a wrestling ring. So the question is, though, if this does happen, do we get more than one Austin match? Because, you know, maybe they'll throw him in there with a Brock Lesnar. I mean, that could be bad, you know. But like I said, or John Cena even down the road, that could be a possibility. Um... I don't know. I just think that it's kind of weird. Like, I've, I know I've talked about, I've said this a couple times already, but I just find it weird that he would now choose to come back. So, we'll see. I mean, like I said, I'll be excited. I love Stone Cold Steve Austin. And 
I don't know. I I just at this point, selfishly, do I want to see Steve Austin wrestle again? Sure. And like I said, I'll freak out. Ten-year-old me will be going crazy. You know, adult me will be like, oh my god, like I don't want this dude to die. And I, you know, Kevin Owens, like I said, is a safe opponent for him. He's not going to hurt Austin. He'll bump probably really well for him and sell really well. And um, maybe we get some we get some good promos because Kevin Owens can talk. Austin can obviously talk and all that. Um, you know, and yeah, like I said, if there's been reports that it might be one match, but Austin's also been gone on record saying that. You know, like in the past that he said he could do, his body felt well enough that he could do another match or maybe even a few more if he needed to. And he just has always stayed retired and he didn't want to become a parody of himself. And, you know, he wanted to be, you know, he didn't want to be remembered in a bad light, you know, because he went out, how he went out was, you know, pretty great if you go back and look at it. But, you know, he didn't want to have you let people remember him you know he wanted people to remember him for how great he was and then if he came back he didn't want to stink up the joint austin stone cold steve austin's always been very i guess you could say protective of his brand and his character and what people or how he sees himself he's always you know he was great when he was wrestling obviously um but he you know i don't think he wants to go out there and come back especially at 57 years old and stink up the joint and have a bad match so but like I said, it would be it will be awesome to if it does happen. You hear the glass shatter and Austin just comes down to the ring and you know <laughs> that crowd will go wild and he'll get a huge pop and a huge reaction from that crowd. So it'd be cool to see. Like honestly, I kind of do. You know, like I said, in a selfish way, hope it happens because I love Stone Cold Steve Austin. But um, we'll see. Um, and then the last thing before I get into the review of the Elimination Chamber, I want to touch on WWE announcing The Undertaker for the 2022 WWE Hall of Fame. Um, if there's ever anyone that's more... That, there's never really, in my opinion, been anyone that's more deserving of the Hall of Fame than The Undertaker. His span has been around for three decades... And I, you know, I was just talking about how Stone Cold Steve Austin's my favorite wrestler. The Undertaker is probably my second. You know, right up there with The Rock, and it, it's crazy because, you know, there's been times in my life where I've questioned, you know, why do I keep watching this? And even with the, you know, if you look at the popularity of rest pro wrestling in general, and especially WWE, like the ratings just drop every year, and less fans watch, and it gets less interesting, and. You know, I've went through that period where I'm like, why do I even bother with this anymore? It's, you know, it's a chore to sit through a lot. And like I said, I love WWE. And there is times where it's still great. But there, sometimes it's been a chore to get through. But I think the one constant that always brought me back and kept me watching was just no matter how much I was like, man, this show sucks, or this is horrible, I don't, how are, how am I watching this, and I questioned my sanity on watching wrestling, but the one thing that always kept me watching, that he, that was always there, was The Undertaker, you know, 
he started wrestling in WWE before I was even born, which is, you know, the dude's been around. He debuted in November at Survivor Series in 1990. I wasn't even born yet. I was born a couple years later. Um, but, you know, he, he's always been there. Even, like I said, when I, I started watching probably the Attitude Era, so it was like 97, 98, 99, that I was like, you know, when I was a kid that I really... And, you know, 2000 and all that. And the and even when my favorites would leave. The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin. You know, Stone Cold Steve Austin retired with injuries. The Rock went to Hollywood to make movies. And then I gravitate. You know, there was still Triple H and, you know, Kurt Angle and people like that. And Kane and Shawn Michaels and guys like that. And then I later on I gravitated, you know, toward being fans of... John Cena and Randy Orton, but the one guy that was, you know, always there was The Undertaker, even when all those guys all went away, and Brock Lesnar eventually went away as well, and, you know, they brought in, you know, Hulk Hogan went away, and just everyone that left, he was always there, and it just, I felt like he was the one thing I could tune into that I always knew would be I mean, because The Undertaker is awesome. He was an iconic entrance, um, an iconic character. So many great matches. Uh, he had the greatest, in my opinion, I think most people would probably agree with this, the greatest WrestleMania match of all time at WrestleMania 25 against Shawn Michaels. Him and Shawn Michaels had some awesome matches. They had another awesome match at the next year's WrestleMania and WrestleMania 26, which was supposed to be Shawn Michaels' retirement match. They had the first ever Hell in a Cell match in 1997 at Bad Blood, um, where Kane debuted and he tore the door off the Hell in a Cell and then choke slammed the Undertaker and I think also hit him with the Tombstone. That match was awesome. He had some great matches with Triple H. They had a really awesome Hell in a Cell match. I think it was WrestleMania 28, and then 27 they had a street fight. At WrestleMania 17 they had another match. He had some great matches with Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, uh, John Cena, Randy Orton, Kurt Angle. Like You just go down the list and just name all the great moments. Ministry of Darkness Undertaker, which was awesome, where he was like embalming people and doing these crazy rituals where you'd like sacrifice people. And uh, that was probably... And then, you know, he had American Badass Undertaker where he came out on the motorcycle with the kid rock music and... I'll be honest, like, I hated American Badass Undertaker when I was a kid, but I understand why they did it. He had to change with the times. And um, Another awesome feud that Undertaker had was with Mankind, Mick Foley, and that, Hell in, that iconic Hell in a Cell match they had at King of the Ring in 1998 where he threw Mankind off the top of the cage and he fell through the announce table and then he chokeslammed him through the hell in a cell and it broke and I apparently from what I remember reading or hearing was the cage the cell wasn't originally supposed to break he was just supposed to choke slam him on top of the cage and then it broke and mankind fell through the cage then he did that he took that undertaker like threw him on his back into those thumbtacks like that match was in was just insane but yeah just so many awesome moments and you know over the years, Undertaker was always very protective of his character, and he didn't do a lot of interviews, and he was very protective of his brand and, you know, his persona and all that, and I think 
over the last couple of years as he's kind of his career slowly kind of dwindled and he's peeled back the I guess you want to say the onion a little bit or the layer whatever layers whatever you want to call it and he's done more interviews and you've gotten him more out of character he did an awesome podcast with Stone Cold Steve Austin um, if you go and watch it it's on the WWE Network on Peacock they just drink Jack Daniels and tell stories and it's pretty awesome um but yeah, I mean, I The Undertaker going to the Hall of Fame is awesome and he's the he's like I said he's the best character in, ever in history of wrestling. Like his entrance is great, like I said, his character was great and it'll be awesome cuz he's from Texas and he'll get to have a huge, you know, he finally cuz he retired for sure good during the pandemic era or when WWE I believe was in the Thunderdome and they didn't have fans so he'll get to kind of have a little send off in front of the crowd so uh well deserved with Undertaker making the Hall of Fame so that's all I really gotta say about that then we'll take a little break and then we'll get started with the Elimination Chamber review all right so now I'll begin with the Elimination Chamber review um like I said at the start, it was kind of a mixed bag. It was nothing was overly great on this show. It was kind of a paint by number show as we build toward WrestleMania. Um, you know, I I don't know. It's it was very predictable. Pretty much everything that most people I'm sure expected happened. Um, let's get started. So the show took, like I said, it took place Saturday morning at 9am. It was kind of early to be watching wrestling, but I watched it. Um, it took place in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia at the Jeddah Superdome. The attendance, it says, was 33,328 people. So, the first match, well, actually the only match on the pre-show was the Miz vs. Rey Mysterio. Um... This was actually not a bad match. These two worked pretty well together. Uh, there was, I think at one point, Miz hit like a, uh, I want to say he like grabbed his, Ray was like underneath the rope and Miz um, did like a slingshot under, on and then Ray like went on, like hit his neck on the bottom rope, which I thought was kind of a cool spot. Um... Ray ended up doing a top rope seated senton, and then he did a springboard that he does. And Miz hit that um, DDT that he does, where he like kicks him and then does that um, DDT. And then uh, Miz went for the figure four that he tried to do. You know, Miz got that from Ric Flair, and then Ray blocked it, and. Miz tried to grab a chair and basically do like, you know, was going to do like Eddie, the Eddie Guerrero, probably I'm assuming was going to do like, pretend like he got hit like Eddie Guerrero used to always do. And then, um, Dominic actually grabbed, Ray Mysterio's son Dominic actually grabbed the chair from the Miz and then Ray was like distracting the, or talking to the referee and then Dominic ended up getting kicked out of the match and then Ray... Ended up, um, he blocked the skull crushing finale the Miz was going for and then rolled him up for the 
pin to win the match. So, um, and then after the match, both Ray and the Miz, or both Ray and Dominic hit six one nines, and then Frog splashes on the Miz. So that's really it for that. It was a good match though overall. Um, and then we get started with the main show, which the show kicked off with a pretty huge match, probably one of the two matches that this show was ultimately built around, the WWE Universal Championship, Roman Reigns versus Brock, or Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns versus Goldberg. Look at these two jobbers opening up the pay-per-view. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I, it's kind of weird how a lot, if you look back, a lot of the pay-per-views Roman Reigns is on, he opened the show. And I remember reading something a while back that he's basically told WWE and Vince McMahon that he's only he either wants to main event pay-per-views or open the show, open the pay-per-views. So uh this actually was fine for especially for a Goldberg match at the age Goldberg is. Um You know, it was your typical match um with Superman punches and Spears and jackhammers. Well, Goldberg actually never hit the jackhammer. Um, Goldberg went for a jackhammer, and then Roman Reigns hit like a looked like a rock bottom, and then got a two count. It looked they called it a uranage. I think Michael Cole did, but it was pretty much like a rock bottom. Um, Goldberg hit a couple spears, and then uh, Roman hit or went to hit the Superman punch, and. Well, no, he did hit the Superman punch, and he went for the spear, and then Goldberg hit him with the spear, which is kind of a cool spot. Um, Roman then, Goldberg went for the jackhammer again later toward the end of the match, and Roman blocked it into the guillotine submission, and then Goldberg was fading, and then um, it was kind of weird because Goldberg grabbed the rope, and the ref didn't break the hold, and Roman just pulled him back away from the rope. And then Goldberg got, or was passed out, and Roman Reigns retained. So, for now, this sounds like it's the last, I mean, Goldberg, this was the last match on his contract. So, as of now, Goldberg was, I guess you could say, a free agent. Even though I'm assuming at some point down the road, WWE will re-sign Goldberg. And... We'll probably get more Goldberg matches. I just hope that if Steve Austin does actually come back and we get more Steve Austin matches, I really hope that they don't do Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Goldberg because that could be horrible. But yeah, um, so it, was, it wasn't like insulting. It went six minutes. It was nothing like too long, which is probably good, especially for Goldberg matches. Goldberg has, doesn't really do well when he's... Um, in log matches, so, the next match was the, uh, women's elimination chamber match with the winner getting a WWE Raw Women's Championship match at WrestleMania 38, uh, this match had Rhea Ripley, Alexa Bliss, Dewdrop, Liv Morgan, Nikki Ash, and Bianca Belair, um, of the two chamber matches, I thought this was the best well, not the best, the better of the two Elimination Chamber matches on this pay-per-view. Um, you know, 
it was fine. There was nothing, you know, like I said, nothing blow away. Um, it ended up Nikki Ash, I believe, was the first one eliminated. She got eliminated by Rhea Ripley. I think Rhea Ripley hit the uh, Riptide or whatever it was called, and then she was out. Um, and then after that, Dewdrop got eliminated by Liv Morgan. Alexa Bliss eliminated Liv Morgan. Alexa Bliss actually looked pretty decent in this match for her first match in a while. She hit all of her old key moves that she would hit. Um, that she used to hit, I should say. And then, uh, Rhea Ripley got eliminated by Bianca Belair, which was kind of surprising. And then it came down to Alexa Bliss and Bianca Belair. And Bianca Belair eliminated Alexa and won. So, it looks like we're going to be getting the rematch from that happened when Becky Lynch beat Bianca Belair at SummerSlam in 26 seconds. So, it's looking like we're going to get another Bianca Belair and, um... Becky Lynch match for the Raw Women's title. Um, like I said, this was just, it was really short. Like, I think this, the two chamber matches on this show were both over, or under, were basically like, like this one went 15 minutes and 45 seconds, which is very short for an elimination chamber. So, um, but yeah, like I said, Bianca, we'll probably get, Bianca, we're getting, well, not probably, it's official. We're getting Bianca Belair versus Becky Lynch at, WrestleMania, so hopefully that should be good. We'll see, but um, move on to the next match. It was uh, Charlotte Flair and Sonya Deville versus Ronda Rousey and Naomi. Ronda Rousey had to wrestle the match with one arm tied behind her back. That was a stipulation that was added to SmackDown uh, on SmackDown. Um. Ronda Rousey was wearing, like, some weird, like, she was wearing some judo outfit, I guess, that she wore in the Olympics years ago when she was competing in the Olympics, and this match was actually fine. I thought Naomi carried a bulk of the load for her team. Ronda's got some ring rust that they're going to have to probably get her in some matches on SmackDown on TV, and I think she's doing some house shows, so that's probably good. But, yeah, she looked kind of rough here. I mean, yeah, she was, um, you know, wrestling with one arm tied behind her back. But uh, Naomi actually came in and did a Luthez press, which was a move Steve Austin used to always do all the time. I thought that looked really good. Um. Oh, yeah, one thing I forgot to mention is right before the match started, uh, Sonya Deville had been having her arm in a sling, and she revealed, like, oh, her arm's all of a sudden healed. So, um, that, that was kind of weird. Uh, Ronda tried, ended up trying to do an arm bar, and then Rick, oh, I said Rick Flair, Charlotte Flair came in and uh, threw Ronda, like, into the, uh, like, turnbuckle, I believe it was, and then... I think at another point she like kicked her in the head when she had her in an armbar again, I believe. And then um, Naomi hit the uh, hit a Hurricane Rana on Charlotte, which was cool. And then a kick, and then I'm trying to remember also some more things that happened in this match. Sorry if this sounds kind of uh, oh Ronda then ended up tagging in and she hit the uh, Piper's Pit on Sonya Deville then she 
put her arm, put her in the arm bar, and Tony Deville tapped out. Ronda and Naomi win. So now we're officially going to get you know more build up to Ronda versus Charlotte Flair at WrestleMania, and yeah, so. Hopefully Ronda wins the title. I'm sick of Charlotte being in main events. Well, not main events, but being the in women's title matches all the time at WrestleMania. I think every year Charlotte's been on the main roster. She's been in a women's championship match, except for last year. It was like the only time. So it's like getting kind of annoying at this point. So hopefully Ronda just beats her and then we can move on. Um, the next match was... Oh yeah, this match went 9 minutes and 15 seconds. So there's a lot of short matches on this show. Next was Drew McIntyre and Madcap Moss with Baron Corbin in a Falls County Anywhere match. This was pretty much a handicap match because Baron Corbin kept interfering or Happy Corbin, whatever the hell you want to call him. Um, this was fine, though. There was a, a crazy spot where... Uh, Drew did, like, a move to Madcap Moss, and he landed right on his neck, and it looked like he could have, or not, he landed, like, right on his head. It looked like that. He's, thankfully, he's okay. That looked like that could have broken his neck, so thankfully that didn't happen. That was an ugly-looking bump, an ugly-looking move, <laughs> or landing, I should say. That was pretty gnarly-looking. Uh, Drew McIntyre also at one point threw did a belly to belly suplex over the announce table, and oh, it, I think the move that Drew McIntyre did that when he fell on his head was the Alabama slam, and it looked it was a ugly like he the landing was very ugly there, and then Drew ended up hitting uh, the Future Shock DDT. And then he grabbed his sword and did the Claymore kick. That's kind of a cool finish and pinned him. So it's looking like we're going to get Drew McIntyre versus Happy Corbin at WrestleMania, which kind of sucks. It's a waste of Drew McIntyre. But hopefully after that we can maybe get set up like a Drew McIntyre-Roman Reigns feud or something. Um, so yeah, that's really it there. And then the next match was... For the Raw Women's Championship, Becky Lynch versus Lita. I actually liked this. I thought this was the best match on the show. Um, if I recommend watching anyone, or not anyone, any match on this show, it would be this one. Um, oh yeah, one thing I did forget to add in the Miz Rey Mysterio match. They showed like a segment, I think it might have been after this, or toward different part of the show, where Miz... Pretend like he was gonna make a. He said he was gonna make a phone call to find a tag team partner to take on Rey Mysterio and Dominic, and it's rumored to be Logan Paul, which is like, oh god, I don't want to see that. So hopefully that doesn't happen. But that's what it's been rumored that we're gonna get is Logan Paul and the Miz versus Rey Mysterio and Dominic. So anyway, back to uh, Lita versus Becky Lynch. Like I said, I like this. I thought it was really good. Um, they did a good job of making you think Lita could win the championship, which obviously I think most people knew she won it. Um, you know, she hit the twist of fate and the moonsault and all that. And then Becky kicked out. 
uh, Becky hit the Beck Exploder, which is like her, like a suplex, uh, basically, and then a DDT at one point. She did that um, second rope leg drop thing that she does a lot where she does it to the I believe that they're on like the second rope or something and then she does it onto the she they're like draped over the ropes and she jumps off the turnbuckle onto their neck. She does that a lot, which is cool looking move. Uh Lita hit the twist of fate and then um I think Lita did like a sleeper hold at one point which is kinda weird. And then Lita tried to do the moon or the Lita salt or moon salt, whatever you want to call it. And then she does hit it and Becky kicks out. Um, and then Becky hits the manhandle slam and wins. And then after the match, they, the fan Lita or Becky Lynch leaves and then Lita gets cheered as she, um, oh, excuse me, uh, Lita gets cheered as she, um, heads to the back and all that, so for now, that sounds like it's it for Lita, I'm sure, like, similar with Goldberg, she'll probably come back, apparently Vince McMahon was really surprised with the, um, reaction that she received, so, um, I'm assuming, I'm sure at some point we'll get her back in the ring, so, um, then next was supposed to be the Viking Raiders versus the Usos. This match didn't even happen. It was kind of stupid. The Usos just attacked them. And then I think they did like a suplex to the, like one of them on top of the other one. And for some reason they couldn't continue the match. So that kind of sucked. Kind of pointless. You fly all them out to Saudi Arabia so that they can, for, so that can happen. Um, and then next was the main event, the WWE Championship match inside the Elimination Chamber. So this match had Bobby Lashley, who was the WWE Champion, um, AJ Styles, <coughs> excuse me, uh, Austin Theory, Matt Riddle, Seth Rollins, and Brock Lesnar. Uh, I, I do think it's kind of funny that um, when uh, Brock Lesnar came out, he didn't even acknowledge Matt Riddle when he was Brock Lesnar's getting ready to get in his potty, like walked over to all of them and like taunted them or whatever. And then Matt Riddle, he just walked right by. I kind of thought that was a little funny. But uh, this match was predictable and honestly terrible. Might might be one of the worst Elimination Chambers. I haven't seen all of them, but this was terrible. It was very predictable. Um, so at one point, uh, Seth Rollins does. This is toward the beginning part of the match. He does a um, buckle bomb. I believe it was on to Austin Theory. Because I believe Seth Rollins' Austin Theory started the match. And it actually went... He threw him through Bobby Lashley's chamber pod. And it knocked Lashley down. And he supposedly got a concussion. And they took him out of the match. Um... Apparently later on it was revealed that he does have a legit a legitimate shoulder injury and that WWE knew weeks in advance that he couldn't compete, which kind of, I don't know. They did a segment on Raw a couple weeks ago where Lesnar challenged him to a rematch and Lashley kind of wouldn't do it. So maybe if they knew he was hurt, they should maybe they could have just given Lesnar the belt back then since he was just going to win anyway. But 
Yeah, that they basically Seth Rollins did a buckle a buckle bomb to Austin Theory through the chamber pod, and it took Bobby Lashley landed on his head or whatever, and supposedly got a concussion. Um, so that was kind of weird. Then AJ Styles and everyone else came in. Brock Lesnar at one point broke his um chamber pod to get into the match, which I thought was hilarious. Right before that, though, they did that little spot where they were all on the ropes or on the turnbuckle and then they Austin Fury ran over and grabbed him and they all fall it's like a power bomb type thing they, people know what I'm talking about if you've seen that they do that a lot um so yeah Lesnar ends up kicking himself breaks his pod and walks out apparently that was something that wasn't supposed to happen so it's kind of funny but then basically they just, Lesnar, they basically just made everyone look like fools here. Lesnar basically immediately comes in. He F5s Seth Rollins and pins him. He then F5s um, Matt Riddle and pins him. He then, I believe, hits an F5 on AJ Styles and wins. So it's down to Brock Lesnar and Austin Theory. They Then Austin Theory ends up just running around the chamber and then at one point he kicks Lesnar in the balls. And honestly, at this point, I don't even feel bad for Brock Lesnar. He's been kicked in the nuts so many times in WWE that it's kind of funny. It's like, at this point, dude, wear a cup. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. But it's like, you get what you deserve at this point. Um, he's been kicked in the nuts so many times in WWE. It's actually kind of funny. But they did give Austin Theory a little bit of a hope spot. He uh, hit like a drop kick and then a DDT. And then Lesnar got all pissed off. And then at one point, Austin Theory tried to climb the chamber. And Lesnar actually climbs up after him, which was uh, kind of crazy to see Brock Lesnar just scaling the chamber pod like or the chamber like that. And he, I believe Lesnar, when they get to the top of the chamber, Lesnar kind of like grabs his head and starts smashing it against the chamber pod, which was kind of hilarious. Um... And then Lesnar grabs him on his shoulders and hits an F5 off of the top of the elimination chamber. And Austin Theory landed on the ground. So, and then Lesnar under the steel, I guess you, on the ground. And then uh, Lesnar basically rolls him into the ring, pins him, and is the new WWE champion. So, that sets up Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns, title for title. At WrestleMania, which I don't know how to feel about that, to be honest with you. I think it kind of sucks in a way and because it basically defeated the purpose of the Rumble. Because if you win the Rumble, you're supposed to get a title shot. And then Lesnar just wins the title back anyway. Um, unless, like I said, I think I talked about this before. Unless they end the brand split, I really don't want to see a title for versus title for title match because they're just going to give one of them both titles and it's kind of a double-edged sword there's no real good reason like no real good result in this because if Brock Lesnar wins he's going to have the WWE title and the universal title so he's going to have both of your world championships and Brock's a part-timer so he's not going to be there to defend the championships and he's sure as hell not going to you know be on Raw and Smackdown every week or on every pay-per-view and then if Roman wins, it's like, okay, he's got two championships, but he's beaten everyone. You know, you go down the list, he's beaten like Edge, he beat Daniel Bryan before he left, he's beat John Cena, he's beat Cesaro, 
Seth Rollins, Goldberg, uh, one of the Usos before they joined, Kevin Owens. I'm trying to think if there's anyone else. Finn Balor, I don't remember if I said him already. But yeah, it's like, who realistically, if Lesnar doesn't win, beat him, is going to beat him? So like in a way, like I said, both of those results are kind of, there's no not really a good decision, you know? And it kind of craps, Lesnar winning the title back, like I said, it shit, kind of shits on the Royal Rumble. Um, but, and what can you, they, this is what their plan was the whole time, so... We'll see, but yeah, this show overall, I w- if I recommend watching anything, I'd say Becky Lynch first Lido was the best thing on the show. Um, so yeah, I'm going to get out of here. That was review of the Elimination Chamber. I'll be back. I might do another podcast between now and WrestleMania, kind of like maybe if like they announce Austin for sure for a match, and if Cody Rhodes shows up in WWE, I might talk about that more. And then I'll do a preview of WrestleMania when that gets closer, and then a review of WrestleMania, so... As of now, I believe there's only three for sure matches at WrestleMania. So let me just double check in case that they have announced anything else. I don't think so. I'm pretty sure it's only... Yeah, so it's still only Ronda Rousey versus Charlotte Flair for the SmackDown Women's title. Bianca Belair versus Becky Lynch for the Raw Women's title. And then... Uh, Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns for the WWE and Universal title. So, um, Raw will be on and then SmackDown So on Friday. So, I'm sure we'll start to get more of the card put together for WrestleMania. And everything will get sorted out. And, yeah. So, that's my review of the Elimination Chamber. I'm out. Thank you for listening.